0: Thank you, Abby. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, this opportunity to gather around the truth of your word, and the words that we have sung, the truth of the gospel, that we have no other hope but in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And so I pray that as we rest on those words, we might hear from your word today. What it looks like to be a community that not only is saved by the Lord Jesus, but also one that models the Lord Jesus and how we live with each other. Would you take just a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you from His Word this morning? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. May we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good. It is good to be together and welcome. Uh, with, as, as Michelle said, I want to welcome you to White Rock Fellowship. Glad you're here. Um, and as she said, if you're visiting with us, we'd love to connect with you. Love to meet with you uh, today. Actually, right after this service, um, you're welcome to join us for having a newcomer lunch um, right across the way. And I uh, would love to have uh, anyone who's kind of visiting or checking things out to come and just meet a few folks and learn more about the church. Um, but yeah, it's great to be together this uh, this morning. Uh, so I'm, I uh, grew up as an only child, uh, and so growing up as an only child, uh, there's lots of things that I didn't really learn, especially what it looks like to be a sibling. Uh, And now I have three kids. And so I am constantly blown away by this whole sibling thing. Uh, I don't understand it. I'm still trying. I've been a parent for 16 years. You would think I would have it now, but I don't. And so what I'm noticing as a parent of siblings is that at any given moment, uh, a kid can be your sort of built-in best friend. It's like, we're my best friend. We're friends forever. Within a matter of seconds, you can be the worst enemy. And then a matter of more seconds, right back to the best friend again. And I'm like whiplash as a parent. I'm like, what is happening? I always, I always say, what is going on? What's happening? And they're like, it's just being siblings, dad. This is just how it is. And I don't know how this works. So I send advice, send letters, send uh, articles, send coffee, anything you want to send. I, I need it all. I'm still trying to figure out how to parent these siblings. But the siblings have this, uh, you know, dynamic as kids, really from birth, they have to figure out how to live with one another, how to bear with one another, and in many ways, how to put others' interests above their own, even though they don't really ever want to. They have to learn this. And obviously, this is a part of what it means to be a family, but even more so what it means to be the family of God. And as we've now been looking through the book of Romans for a long time now, nine months, we've been in the book of Romans. And one of the things that we keep saying and seeing in, in the book of Romans is that this Christian community in Rome The church was made up uh, of these Jewish background believers who come from all the things that come from Judaism. That's their religion. That's where they're coming from. And they've come to faith in Christ. And at the same time, you have these Gentile believers who, many of them Roman citizens living in Rome, are now a part of this one community. They literally disagree about everything out there. They do not get along. And yet now they are coming together, united in one thing, in Christ, and they're having to learn how to live as a community of, of God united around Christ in the midst of all of their differences. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Romans 14, which just continues to, to walk through. What does it look like to, to live in the midst of this community? And we continue kind of the same thought in Romans 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I'll have it on the screen as well. But in Romans 15, we get this continuation of this same idea. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, remember, he's been talking about this in the realm of convictions, not, necessarily in the, not, not at all in the, in the realm of absolutes, the things that the scriptures say are true, the things that scriptures say are obedience or disobedience. He's not saying that we just disagree and say, oh, okay, well, whatever you want to do in the realm of absolutes. He's saying in the realm of convictions, in the realm of ceremony, the things that Jewish believers did as a part of their worship, saying you can submit to one another in that. You can live to please them. You can limit yourself for the sake of others. That's what Paul has been saying over and over again. And he uses this weak and strong idea. And so, but it's different than how we tend to think of it. We might think, oh, then this must mean they're stronger in faith or weaker in faith. But Paul is using this weak and strong idea to describe this reality. So the weak in this case are, are those who have more limits on their convictions, In this case, it was mostly Jewish background believers who were saying we have ceremonies that we need to to follow. We have, we don't eat meat that may have been potentially um, sacrificed to idols. We don't know, but we're not gonna eat meat at all. And then you have the Gentile believers in this case who are the strong, who have more liberty when it comes to convictions. And so what Paul has been saying over and over again is that if you have more liberty, then limit yourself for the sake of your brother to not be a stumbling block to them on matters of conviction, on matters of ceremony, submit to one another. Now, he says, do this, please them for their good. Not just to please them, to please them, but for their good, to build them up in the faith. Now, as we've been walking through this the last couple weeks, Paul has continually over and over said this. And today, as we get into 15, Paul gives us the purpose behind this. The why. I mean, in some ways they were probably asking and we're probably asking, what Why is this such a big deal? I mean, can't they just go start their own church? Can't they just go somewhere else? Can't they just divide? I mean, as a parent, if they're both doing things I'm okay with, I'm like, you go to that corner and do your thing. You go to that corner and do that thing and do not cross this line, right? But Paul says, no. You cannot do that. Why? He says, to seek to please others, submit to each other. Why? Look at verse three. He says, for Christ did not please himself, is that, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul gives the purpose. He gives the why. Why do we care about unity? Because who do we follow? We follow Christ, who took the reproaches, who took the insults, who took death that we deserved, sacrificed for us, and we follow him in that as a community. He says, who do we follow? Christ, who, remember, as we heard in the reading, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, Let each of you think not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Why? He says, have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, why do we bear with one another? Why do we put others' interests above our own? Why do we submit to one another? Why do we seek to please our brothers and our sisters so that they might be built up? Why? Because it is the way of Jesus at ultimate cost to himself himself his death, he has given us life, redeeming us, forgiving us, freeing us, uh, establishing a relationship with Christ that we can have, all of these things. But even more than that, Jesus was doing something in his sacrifice that I think we sometimes miss. He was creating a new community There's two things I want us to look at in this passage. One, Jesus in his death, he became a servant to create a new community and also to set an example for how that community operates. We tend to think of Jesus's death, which is good and right, as our personal forgiveness and our personal relationship with God. Yes, but it is also the fact that Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection has created a community That now follows in the way of Jesus. Now, if you will, jump down with me um, to verse 8 as we look at this new community that Christ has formed. Verse 8 For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So what is Paul doing here? He's helping them understand that what Jesus came to do, he became a servant for two purposes we see here. Right here. One, to fulfill the promises to the Israelites, to fulfill the promises all the way back to the patriarchs, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one they have longed for, the one they have waited for, the one that was promised to them. And so Jesus fulfills all of this. He is holy and righteous and perfect. He is the the prophet like that of Moses. He is the king like that of David. He is the, the servant that Isaiah talks about. He is the fulfillment of all things Jewish. He came to fulfill the promises of the patriarchs. But not only that, he came to do what Israel could not do, which was to be blessed, to be a blessing to the nations, You see, salvation was always meant to come to the Jews and through the Jews for the sake of all people, for the nations. In fact, that's why Paul quotes over and over again these scriptures. He he quotes the law, he quotes the prophets, he quotes the Psalms. He's trying to say this was always God's purpose to create a large new community of all people who would trust in God. We go all the way back to our theme verse of Romans, right, from the beginning, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who will believe, to the Jew first and then, and also to the Greek. You see, salvation was always meant to be to the Jews and through the Jews to the Gentiles. And so Jesus came to fulfill that very thing, to create a new community. And who's that new community? It's a community of Jews, And Gentiles, all non-Jews. And Paul has been saying this over and over again. Paul later would say in Ephesians, that he created one new man, one new humanity, one new community, the church, the people of God from different backgrounds. Those who are religious, those who are not religious, those from different ethnic backgrounds, those from different languages, all encompassed in this one community called the church. He came to create this. In verse 13, he says, this gives us incredible hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This means that what Christ has done gives hope to everyone because anyone who believes is invited in to the community of God. One commentator talking about Romans, he says, um, you could read Romans backwards, starting here to see what is the purpose of Romans. You start here to see that the purpose has always been to unite these people who are so divided out there and everything else to unite them around the truth of the gospel. And so what I've decided is the next nine months, we're gonna go backwards and we're gonna start that way. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're like, please be done with Romans. Paul wants to show this divided church what unifies them and it is Christ alone. Jesus came to create a new community, but also he came to set the example for how that community operates. He says, why do we bear with one another? Why do we put others' interests above our own? Why do we submit in order to please our brothers and sisters so that their faith may be built up? Why, well, it's the way of Jesus, he says. But then he says this. Look, keep going with me. Verse four, jump back to verse four. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction this endurance, what was written was meant to give you endurance and encouragement and hope. This idea that we might live in harmony with one voice glorifying God. Um, I've, ha- I've been in a few settings at times where um, people who speak all different languages but worship God, and there's been this t- time where people said, everyone together in your own language, praise God and out loud. And you would think, man, that's going to be chaotic, how do I even like keep my head in my, because all these people some different languages, but it is beautiful. Because it's this picture of one voice glorifying God. It's a little taste of heaven when every nation and every tribe and every group of people on the planet will gather together and will worship God with one voice because of the unity that Christ has built in us. But notice what Paul says he says endurance and encouragement are going to be needed to build this kind of community why because laying down our preferences even limiting our, our sort of convictions that we hold strongly for the sake of others it, it is it takes work it takes endurance to fight for unity and for so many people it's just too hard It's just, you know, uh, let's just not sacrifice. Let's just, you go there, I'll go there, and we just won't cross this line. So often the way we approach these issues of preference or or opinion or conviction, Paul says that Jesus not only is what purchased and made this new community, but he is also our model. In fact, looking back at verse seven, he says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How did he welcome us? With patience, with humility, with kindness, with sacrifice, and with grace. It's Jesus who did this for us, and that is our model for how we live in community. That means the things that divide us out there, when we come together in here, we are united around Christ, and we sacrifice for the sake of others. We work diligently to bear with one another and to endure. It's going to take work. It's going to take endurance because we're gonna wanna throw in the towel. Paul says, keep going. May the God of endurance give you endurance, but also encouragement. Encouragement, sort of this coming alongside, calling us forward, comforting, encouragement towards the goal to keep going, to keep doing this for a lifetime in the community of God. Paul said earlier, we do this for our good, for the building up of one another. We're in a time where so many people are just sort of throwing out the, the church. It's like, oh, well, the church, it's broken, it's a mess, so I'm just going to throw that out and I'm just going to follow Jesus and do my own thing. And yet, Paul says, no, we need endurance and we need encouragement to stay engaged. No, is a church perfect? Of course not. But to stay engaged and to continue to endure and encourage one another for the sake of the unity that Christ has purchased. It means it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost our preferences. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we just hear this constant refrain. If we have liberty, we limit our liberty for the sake of our brothers and sisters so that we don't cause them to stumble. We sacrifice. We submit. It is the way of Christ. In fact, Last week we looked at Romans 14, the things that divided them were eating and drinking. But uh, Paul says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, the things that divide them, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, ultimately the kingdom of God and the church, which is meant to be a taste of the kingdom of God, is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Our eyes are lifted higher of what's actually going on. We have this tendency just to see what's right around us. Oh, the issues that might cause us to divide or the preferences we have, or, or maybe even the convictions we have. And yet our eyes are called higher to see the kingdom of God and the church is meant to be about righteousness, purity, holiness, as we talked about last week, peace, with Christ and with one another and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is a vision of a new community that is far greater than oftentimes the vision we have when it comes to anything in life and even the church. We will not be humble. We will not sacrifice for one another. We will not put others' interests above our own if we do not have this higher vision of what God has called us to be about a community unified in Christ that models the way of Christ and how we act with each other. Now, all of this is beautiful and it sounds great. The challenge of this is, well, we're, we're people. I have a pastor friend who um, says that his temptation all the time is to just to basically say this. He said, I always, my wife and I always just say this. It's like, people are the worst Jesus is the best. Let's just do this alone, right? And there's sometimes this temptation. Like I said, we're in a day where we throw the church out, like, oh, let's throw this all out because people are the worst. Jesus is still great. He's still the best. Let's just do this alone. That's not how the scriptures discuss this idea of being a church because we are called to be a part of this community that Jesus died for. And because he died for it, we now have a new perspective. We have new priorities, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means when we have conflict, we seek reconciliation. That means when when there's preferences or opinions that we might divide over, we say, you know what, let me pause. Submit to the Lord in those things and submit to one another. We live in a world, and this is the danger of this, where the church is defined primarily by uh, coming and consuming spiritual goods and services. It's just kind of the way we think of church, right? We call, hey, I'm going to go to church this week. I might go to that church this week. We live in a world where we compare it to, if you don't like McDonald's, there's Burger King across the street. This idea of consuming spiritual goods and services, right, there's a part of that, of receiving and being a part of the community of God. But it's so much more than that. It's a community centered on Christ, it is intentionally looking to work and to endure in submitting to one another for the sake of the glory of God that we celebrate that with one voice. It's a community purchased by Jesus' blood and it's a community that lives in the model of the way Jesus sacrificed for us. Now, there's something that comes up in this passage multiple times and it, and it kind of surprises me when I was reading it through. It's this idea of hope. Comes up in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Comes up in verse 13. For whatever or sorry, may the God of hope fill God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We've talked about this before. Hope is not the way we typically define it as a culture. Biblical hope is the assurance of what is true that changes how we live now. It's the assurance of what is to come and it is the assurance of what is true. It's the confidence in that that actually shapes the way we live right now. And I don't think we can ever even fully fathom how divided this church would have been as Jewish background believers and as Gentile believers in the same community. But there is something about them coming together united in one church that not only built hope in them, But it also gave hope to the watching world who said, why are they gathering together? There's something here that unites them. And there's something in our unity that when we have unity, when we lay down our preferences, when we lay down the things that might divide us, and we say, I want to please my brother or sisters for the building of their faith, There's something about that unity that builds hope in us and it communicates hope to a watching world. Because humility, it was not a cultural value then and it is not a cultural value now. It's pretty much antithetical to everything we do and live in in our culture. Choosing to submit, choosing to limit ourselves, choosing to serve someone, why would anyone do that? But when the church community built around Christ and what he has done for us, unified in Christ, lives like this, what are we communicating? We're showing to ourselves and to the watching world that our hope is found, as we sang, in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Our hope is not found in the, in the next thing. Our hope is not found in, you know, sort of being a fully expressed individual and version of ourselves. Our hope is not living out our liberties to the, to the full. Our hope is not in, in some social capital and some security. Our hope is in a Savior who lived, who died, who rose from the dead to create a community, an eternal community, We'll do this forever. Who lives to submit to each other, serve one another for the sake of God's glory, that we might glorify him with one voice. This takes work. It takes endurance. It takes encouragement. But we must do it. Because Christ has lived and died and rose from the dead for us. Paul says we can't just say, ah, I'm just going to do my own thing. Our, our example is Jesus, that he bore the reproaches that we deserved for our sake. And so we pursue unity, not because it'll just make for a little better situation here. It's that higher vision of a community of the kingdom of God that values righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. father we um admit that often it is just far easier to divide, and we kind of count it as not a big deal, preferences, opinions. And yet, Lord, I thank you for your word here that points us to the significance and the importance of what, who we are supposed to be as a community, unified around Christ. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, I, I want to invite us to perhaps um, take a moment to Repent. Maybe there's um, one particular person or one particular type of person in the body of Christ that we just choose to divide. And maybe it's really on the level of conviction or ceremony. Maybe it's something to do with how they worship or a liberty or a limit that they take. As we come to communion, we're reminded that our Savior Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled Himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So may this opportunity as we turn towards you, you're turning to our hearts and our minds back to our Savior, Jesus. You know, that He is the reason for our unity and he is the model for our unity. It's in his name we pray, amen.